Hello and welcome to the second ballot box. Now um, we promised that we would we would keep doing this series. It was uh, the first one that we did last week was officially part of the Lemoncast. The Lemoncast is the weekly podcast of the Lemon Press. This is perhaps the only spin-off series in history to do its second episode and spin off from something that doesn't yet exist. Because we haven't actually recorded the second episode of the Lemoncast. So, as it stands, the only episode of the Lemoncast available to you is an episode of Ballot Box. So, that's an interesting bit of trivia for you. We're hoping to give you some more interesting bits of trivia over the course of the next hour and a half to impress your friends with down the pub or to, you know, annoy them so much that they stop hanging out with you and don't any calls anymore. So, I'm Tom Davies. I am the well, co-host of Ballot Box with Gabriel Bramley. Hello, I'm still here. Who's here. And we've got a fleet of guests for you. We've got our... I suppose you're probably calling our producer, Plasky. Alright, how's it going? We've got, uh, what is your title again? Uh, print editor. He's the print editor of Lemon Press, Ben Walker. And we have got the chair of Lemon Press, Cam Gearing. Oh. And the theme of this week's episode, if you watched the podcast or listened to the podcast last week, it's uh, the theme was promised to be Micronations, which is what we just sort of said, what we were calling it at the time. We've had a bit of a rethink over it because. We've kind of worked out there's so much stuff, the kind of broad issue of micronations and small nations and nations that have kind of small little twee interesting quirks to their political system. They could all be separate episodes. So we've, we've focused it. If you wanted to do the island nation of Nui for reasons which we will explain later on, we were doing it on island democracies. So it's going to be small island nations, interesting little quirks to their politics. So we've got three island nations to discuss. One of them's a it's a sort of one of them's a crown dependency, one of them's an independent country but it's part of New Zealand's sort of semi semi-autonomous semi-autonomous region and uh, another one of them is another semi-autonomous region. So none of them are yeah. fully independent, but they all they've got their own flags and governments and elections and things. So uh farcical though they may be. Farcical and and yeah, risible though they may be, as that will become clear. Right, we're um we're recording today again from my flat in Hewith from where we record the podcast, or not not because it's particularly nice, but actually because it's the smallest living room anybody owns, and I can hang old blankets up on the walls in this marginally improved sound quality. We've got a very a very large budget here at, here at Ballot Box. Now, last week, uh, we've sorted out the problem from last week that you may have heard of the occasional rumbling pipes. The plumber's been around, and I now have hot water and heating works properly again, which seems to have stopped the rumbling in the pipes, but the uh, the weekly sort of ear piss you'll be subjected to this time will be Ben Walker slowly dying of tuberculosis in the corner. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> Got lemsip all as well. So that's just a point of information. So, uh, what are you going to start with now? Well, I think, actually, we're going to start with Nui, because, and this, this is an interesting story... Well, it is it interesting? Well, it's, it's a story, and I'm going to tell it. Yeah. <laughs> Nui was an island that we just discovered by accident on a Skype call over the summer, me and Gabriel, yeah. and it led to the idea to do this podcast because we we were we were sort of, we were, we were sort of I don't know we were doing sort of randomly surfing the internet. No, I, I think we specifically looked for nations with the smallest population yeah. possible, and we we looked at this we found this tiny little island uh, just off in the in the Pacific. You know, uh, it's a, it's a Dependency of New Zealand, but it's sort of quasi quasi independent. It's autonomous. It's autonomous, yeah. And we just spent about two hours just laughing at 
little quirks of its political system and just because it's so small uh, but yeah so Nui is the sort of raison d'etre because we, we, we sat there and we were talking we just sort of went like you know what actually I bet you there's loads of stuff like this those little interesting kind of quirky stuff people wouldn't necessarily know about sort of little idiosyncrasies in the world of politics and politics, and that could make a good podcast yeah so that's why we're here so we're going to talk about Nui Nui is an island country in the South Pacific Ocean it's it's got Tonga to the west, Samoa to the north, Kansas to the east. It's northeast of New Zealand, so that's the kind of little area. Quite a way away, though, quite away from New Zealand. And it's it's not large. It's got a population of one thousand one hundred ninety people on the island, but ninety five percent of the the people of Nui live elsewhere. Most of them in New Zealand. It is two hundred sixty square kilometers in area. The people of Nui are then they're citizens of New Zealand, officially. New Zealand conducts most sort of diplomatic and foreign affairs on their behalf. But Nui has its own parliament, it has its own premier. It has a New Zealand-appointed governor-general. Nui, because of, its, because of its size, has got quite a lot of sort of... It's able, to, it's able to give it, the people of Nui, quite a nice deal. So everybody in Nui has free Wi-Fi. It's the only Wi-Fi nation in the world. It's the world's first, the world's first Wi-Fi nation. I'm sure there's been more by now. Uh, in 2003, they provided free wireless internet access throughout the entire country. But, as was pointed out before we started recording, that's not actually that impressive because the University of York campus has free Wi-Fi and, crucially, a, a far higher population. Yeah, a much, much larger population. <laughs> Nui, as expected, has a fairly small-scale primary economy. 204 of the 260 square kilometres of land on Nui are agricultural land, they're farmland. What they mostly grow is this thing called taro. Uh, well, they call it pink taro in New Zealand. It's um, Taro is a kind of vegetable plant. Uh, it's I, kind it, of like a yam, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, kind yeah. of a bit like a yam. It's, it's a pulse. It's, they, they, they just grow it everywhere. <laughs> and most of the people of, on the island largely just live off it. They also grow, they also actually just grow yams. They grow tapioca, kumaras, bananas, got proper passion fruit limes, but the main, they were the main, used to be the main export crops. So they, used to, they used to do that. Nowadays, they, they mostly just make this thing tapioca <coughs> and vanilla, which they've started to do. So, you know, the, farming is one of the three main crops they have there. They have could you just say it's basically like a real world tropico but the sounds me it's very much <laughs> yeah. just yeah. random yeah, crops it's, it's real world tropico if they never got out the colonial era <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's a taro republic essentially because taro is massive in, in taro it's massive all over the Pacific but in New Zealand and Australia the main taro that's now the dominating taro in the markets is this thing pink taro which they only grow on Nui uh, it's the intellectual property of Nui. So wow. is it the hipster sort of health food? Well, it's like, you know, Cuba. Cuba's not large, but Cuba still makes huge, huge amounts of coffee. Is it coffee they make there? Uh, they provide coffee for pretty much most of Ooh. the United States, despite the kind of trading bargains. <laughs> so uh, the only other thing they have in the food chain, really, that they eat is coconut crab, which is just a type of crab that lives on the island. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the only other thing yeah. they do is fish. Mostly coconut crab and tourism. Tourism. There's the three main industries. Tourism. So, 
Tourism, yeah. yeah, they have a little bit of tourism. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful island paradise. Oh, I'm sure there'll be some uh, people weird enough to come and see the town. It's not got a communist <laughs> yeah. junta or anything else, like or like some sort of fascist government. Like, where's the point in that? Because there's a, well, a lot of these Pacific island states have had various troubles. Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, would you like to be a massive anal dictator of the island nation in the week, yeah. where they spend most of their time picking up what are basically potatoes. You wouldn't want any more power. You've got the power over the land. You have the power over the potato. <laughs> you own the potato. I mean, you're really sort of underestimating how much some people want to, you know, be the potato baron of but we'll the South Pacific. On, well, actually, we're going to come over people who want to... Uh, yes. who, who like Ooh. having power over very minor nations next. Despite, despite the fact that very powerful people are within their own rights. And that yeah. will come later. When we do the micronations episode, we'll do about these men in gunboats who have tried <laughs> to take things over and form their own countries and take a royal ring. But, you know, that elements of that's going to come up later. Fortunately, nobody has ever tried to launch an armed invasion of Nui. To, to take over the tarot industry. Of I feel Australia. there's a gap in the market. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if, if it's as like prevalent as you say in like Australia and New Zealand cuisine, if it's like the only place you can grow it, I said it was the main tarot crop in the, okay. in the tarot industry. Yeah. In in the world of tarot, the tarot people <laughs> buy in Australia and New Zealand. Yeah. Primarily now, the majority of what they buy is this pink tarot they grow in Newy. I have no idea how much tarot people actually buy and eat in Australia and <laughs> New Zealand. It could be like saying that you dominate light uh, up jumpers. Yeah, light up yeah. jumpers like Heelys. You know, yeah. <laughs> the uh, the Newy has in its general elections every three years. It elects a twenty man legislative assembly. Le- legislative assembly. They're, they're elected by about 600 registered voters. So they have six elected on a common roll, so they all vote, and the top six are elected in a multi-member constituency, and they have 14 village representatives. The elections we're going to focus on were elected in 2008, because they were they kind of, they were in a nice juncture between um, the appointment of the, the new president. The, oh, no, Toke yeah. Talagi. Toke Talagi, yes. He was like, in 2008 replacing a man called Young Vivian, who is a, uh, a new political icon, although not seemingly a particularly popular one. because He, he, he ruled the island for 13 years, though, didn't he? Six years he was, six but he was also briefly in power in the 90s. But he, over the course of 30 years, he held pretty much every job in the government, which is very strange because Young Vivian... Um, was he not particularly young by the end of it? Well, no, he's not, wasn't, yeah. no. But young Vivian, quite... Um, the interesting thing about him is he's a figure in possibly the smallest, most small-scale, kind of irrelevant, small-time political system in the world. I think it is one of the smallest places in the world to have a kind of semi-autonomous status and its own parliament, its own elections and things. Yeah. Um, the smallest is Pitcairn, which we're going to go on to. And you have this guy who is so keen, so keen, so desperate to be a part of the government, you know, to be part of this involvement political system. Now, we're going to go through some of the constituencies in Nui. <laughs> uh, the, 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 the election for the common role is fine because there are 600 voters and you get to vote six times. So, 4,605 ballots were, the votes were cast for individual candidates in that. In Alofi, the capital, it's fine. You've got 175 people voted in Alofi South. Which is about a local election in the uh, United Kingdom. Yeah, well, it's far, far less. Well, far uh, less than the, the, the average. The average uh, electorate for a single-member council ward in Britain is 3,000. 
So the number of votes cast would be something like, you know, about, in in an off year, something like a thousand, in a general election year, two thousand. Yeah. It would be a police commissioner election. That's yeah. the sort of scale yeah. of how poorly it would represent it. So, Hicker, Hicker, I'm sorry, I must apologise. This is going to fastly turn into five white Englishmen trying to pronounce obscure. Um, <laughs> the thing is about these names, like, ver- the, you get this very strange fusion of culture where you get like, common, like, old 80s superstars and then actual Polynesian names. Yes, you do. You get young Vivian. And there's going to be somebody later on who's going to bring yeah. up Trudy Discover yeah. who ran yeah. in a... Yeah, Pamela Ann and then Tokaya Kona. Yeah, this happens all over the uh, Pacific Islands. You get, yeah. people, you get people that have names like John Gunn. Yeah. And you have people that are called um, something very long and tribal and yeah. sounding. Okay, there was a very, very tight race in the Hikutavake constituency where Opili Talafasi defeated Pamela Ann Tokaya Kona 15 votes to 14 in a 20 <laughs> <laughs> The swing seat. There were yeah. forty votes in Makifu. That was a little bit. That was a little bit more of a safe seat. Twenty-four, sixteen. Um, can I just point out that fifty percent of these elections are uncontested? Yeah. In Toy, <laughs> Toy, which is the smallest constituency, Toy is a village of essentially probably six or seven buildings. Mm. In uh, in Nui, Dion Torfitu defeated Mokalalini Vaha ten votes to six. Can you imagine wow. being Mokalanini Vaha? Because you've got to see those people yeah. every day. Well, this is, yeah, that'd be one awkward celebration <laughs> there. I assume it's a secret battle. Like, you wouldn't know well, which uh, of your friends have betrayed you. You could guess. You might know. Ten to six, you could this, guess who betrayed you. Yeah. This is the thing we're going to talk about more broadly. It's a very interesting point. Mm. Is when is a constituency just too small? Because, uh, well, obviously I've worked on political campaigns before. I have some experience of doing this. In a 3,000 sort of electorate ward, one man, the candidate, can knock and leaflet pretty much every door in the ward just over the course of the short campaign if they're doing it yeah. you know, full time. If two people are doing it, you can do it twice. If you have two candidates in a, a ward where 16 people vote, you, in can, a constituency, you can basically just shaggle your constituents. Yeah. Well, yeah, and also, and this is going to come up with Pitcairn, is about, um, you know, oh, yeah, no. can't be so small that it's dangerous to have these kind of because can people can people just like corrupt and uh, take control permanent control and people you know, on, on a, the smaller a political unit gets the far more open it is to sort of permanent takeover and to corruption and bullying and you know and, 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 and where the, all the, it's like Lord of the Flies isn't it where yeah. Yeah. If, if you've got six people and they've got four yeah. Um, you know, like it's very, very easy to keep control because yeah. you know you know all the six people. Well, well, it's, well it's because there's no element yeah. about, about outside factors, is there? You and like, it's like if it's all very self-contained within itself, you're not going to get any ex- extraneous people coming in with new ideas yeah. or new uh, ideologies. He... There is just going to be one set um, subset of ideas, and that's just going to become prominent. And the person who dominates will just stay at the top. Yeah. Until it, someone gets annoyed. Is Sorry. it party seat? Like, is it party based politics, or are they all independents? Because I, I, I wonder. No, it's all independent. It's all independent. But you know, going back to the kind of broader point about sort of political units mm. and sort of size, you know, it's it's you know, it, what do we think? Well, I mean, that's that sort of size. Does it matter who's in charge, really? Because what are they going to do? They're not exactly gonna, I don't know, 
round people up in the streets or have some sort of like. Well, there isn't really enough people to make an effective yeah. stop. Like, yeah, there's not enough people to do anything in the first place. I mean, I mean, why do the interest of 15 people need to be represented specifically? What makes those 15 people a. You know, capable, palpable as a group. I, th- I think it, the, the interesting thing about Nui, and I think you know the reason why a lot of the places we're going to be talking about today, uh, how, I mean, Nui is the only one we're going to do that has constituencies. I mean, Nui is just simply too small to have constituencies. Mm. And one of the um, reasons why I assume they probably do it is because it has historical links to the Crown and to, to Britain. Yeah. Um, and indeed, voluntarily became a British colony. Uh, I think in 1901. Really? Yeah, not, so in October 1901 they voluntarily became a British colony because they wanted to, they wanted protection. They wanted to make sure that nobody came and invaded them. You know, they wanted to be protected because they, they were small and they were, they were worried. Uh, and I would assume that you know this this is why they, they've sort of got a system that emulates the British system and actually a lot of the constitutional stuff that underlies it is pretty much directly linked. Mm. But going back actually to because I've just been looking back at some previous results. The constituency of Toy has actually had a roller coaster ride over the years because <laughs> at the 2005 general election, Dion Torpitou, the current member for Toy, stood then and lost by one vote, 8 7. Ooh, and I oh. think you'll find, because I looked at this and I couldn't remember what election it was. If we go to 2011, Toy by election 2012, and uh, oh, yeah. it's, you know, somebody was, somebody was ill. Oh, this was, this was just ridiculous. This was a ridiculous thing. Somebody was ill and they couldn't take the oath, so they, they ruled that you had to have the election again, which was. Bizarre, but I mean, the people of Toy had probably suffered enough at this point. People were trying to get their vote because you, know, you ever been? It's 20, there's 30, 40 people in the, in the village. You know, it's imagine trying to run a campaign. Looking to it, my main problem is also like there is a real serious question about uh, the capacity of people in small groups to bully and intimidate. And because I think, like, what I, one of the things I, I think about, you know, democracy and electoral politics actually depends on. There being figures who are without personal bias in the vote, so people that there has to be people in the in the kind of electorate who don't know either candidate and who are genuinely voting on the information put out there on the political side of things and who are not. I think if everybody knows either candidate, then you're not getting an accurate contest. Um, is it mandatory voting? Because if you think about it, if one person in Toy forgot to vote, that is a hefty percentage of the population not voting in that constituency yeah but I think if you scale it down like more or less it would more or less represent normal votes turn out to be honest like I think one person just doesn't want to vote yeah I mean imagine there's more than 30 people living in was it toy yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. More than 30 well people. children and you know, oh yeah, yeah. 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 But okay <laughs> toy toy went on this roller coaster because obviously Dion top of two got re-elected and then was had to, had to fight a by-election because of this technicality where she couldn't keep her old take her old take her oath of office. She won eleven six. I've always just thought of her as a woman. I don't know why. I've always I've seen her name on a bit of paper. You know when you see people's names, you mm. just always you just sign a gender to them even though you don't know the gender of the name. Yeah. Uh, she beat Mokalalini Vaha. I said she again eleven six. <laughs> and then in two thousand and fourteen, I don't know who she managed to who who Dion Torpatu managed. To, I'm, I'm just going to Google what gender this person. Yeah. <laughs> It's a man. It's a def- it's definitely okay. a man. Dion Torpatu was re-elected in was re-elected in 2014. He's re-elected again, but the same opponent, Mokalalini Vaha, was 11-6 three years ago, 10-10, 10 10 tie, and Nui has no. There are two candidates. 
So there's no way to split a new system for doing this genuinely is Dion Torfati was re-elected by lots. They drew lots. They just literally just gambled on. Yeah, they drew lots and Dion Torfati was re-elected. Nice. And that that's sort of this is another example of you know if it gets that small, and you, you I mean, there's very rarely more than two candidates. Sometimes you get three in, in the bigger constituencies. I you? wonder if it's anything more than sort of like a token sort of thing, having having these candidates represent the village. Mm. Like people might just run because they feel, you know, there's an election. Why not? We need some candidates. Okay, this guy's already standing. We'll have one more. There's no point in having any more. Like what? What interests do these people actually represent at the Newey Parliament? Like, oh, uh, it's a bit bad weather this year. Lower tarot tax. What powers do they have as well? Like, do they actually have they, they have the power? powers of a full parliament. But really, they're, they're not running a you know they're not yeah. running a complex economy. Yeah, they're, that's exactly you know, what I was they, thinking. They're yeah. not. They, they don't really have a cla- much of a class system. You know, people. Yeah. Are, there's not like this huge gap in the rich and the poor or anything like that. So. There's not really a lot going on. I assume they, they want to have you know, the individual kind of village uh, representatives, representatives represent the little different communities. <coughs> uh, there's not many people living there. They all have their own tight knit little villages. Yeah. So, so it makes me wonder. Like, do, do you think these people will probably just have a, a figure, and they're not really bothered who it is? There isn't like you know intense party politics. I mean, we've had higher turnouts to Lemon Press elections yeah. than we have to some of these constituencies. Uh, so I just wonder is it just like a system that's been put in and then people just go along with it for the point of it I don't think anybody cares enough to change it I think they quite in- <laughs> I, I went on the Facebook page for the last Nui election it literally was a Facebook page wow um, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> well, and also post their vote or is it I don't think they have a, they televise it either because I'm not sure they don't, they don't televise elections I think people literally just gather ah, right. and they announce it um, and yes um so we're going to talk about the saga of Young Vivian. Okay. Young Vivian. There was a guy called uh, the first premier of Nui was called Robert Rex. He was the first premier of Nui. He was the first Nuian man to be knighted under the British honours system. He was succeeded in 1992 by Young Vivian, who held office for about six seven months, and then stopped being the. Um, being the Premier, he came back again in 2002. In between that time, he basically held every single cabinet position. <laughs> he was in power again for six years, and then in 2008, he was defeated by a man called Toki Talagi, who was the top candidate on the on the common roll list. He defeated him, I think it was 13 votes to five, two abstentions in the legislature. So quite a heavy defeat for an incumbent. Oh, wow. Young Vivian then went on to have a lot of trouble. He was always... Tra- Traditionally, he seems to have been elected unopposed in his constituency. I think by 2014, I think people just kind of wanted young Vivian gone. A bit. I mean, <laughs> it seems like people have gone, oh, Vivian, just give it a rest. Why do you want to be a politician in this in this risible island country? Just, yeah. just go go sit in a hammock. Just go sit in a hammock. <laughs> have yourself a bit. Have yourself some tarot. You know, help yourself to some tarot. Um, he was run very very close for re-election in his Kupu constituency. 49 votes to 46, he won. <laughs> And his opponent was Michael Jackson. <laughs> wow. It was a man called Michael Jackson. Named after or just incidental? He was a journalist. Uh, a Nuean journalist. Yes. He, he had a newspaper. He launched the newspaper, the Nui Star, which is the country's only printed newspaper. Another interesting thing about Michael Jackson, something that's worth pointing out, is that people seem to be kind of very, very wrapped up in what's going on with Nui. 
Young Vivian obviously thinks being a politician in Newry is the best thing in the whole world. Michael Jackson is so well known on the island of Newry, as would be, that when the news broke that Michael Jackson had died, the singer, song, the oh. singer Michael Jackson, and then people would come into the village and go, Michael Jackson's died. Apparently everybody thought that this guy, Michael Jackson, the journalist, was dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, stands for reason. Oh, we're moving on to oh the Newey so, Star actually has a Facebook page. Oh, really? Okay, the last... 6th of October, it, it just shared a picture of a man with a fish. Oh, they actually have like a show. Oh, I'm guessing they have a show. Up. They have a show, and it <laughs> looked like the show, as in the big show of the own, looked like one gazebo, about 12 people sitting underneath it. Brilliant. A car. That's pretty but, good. You know, yeah, let's also, let's not forget, you know, you, you, the um, Nui is invited to all states, United Nations. Oh, of course, um, yes. It, does, it, does, it doesn't have a full seat in the United Nations, but it does go to certain things. And Nui, by all accounts, seems to be a beautiful and quite a nice, sort of friendly, cool, no crime, it's a nice place to live. It, it, seems, but, it seems to have a very slow, tranquil lifestyle. Yeah. But, Nui, with the greatest respect, you do not have enough people living on your island to have first past the post um, <laughs> in 14 constituencies single member constituencies <laughs> really you should probably select everybody on a common role which is what they do in, they do now in Sark which brings me onto Sark now Sark was was it, I, I must admit I, I was peripherally aware of what in Sark they refer to as the situation and elements of the history on Sark the situation they have in Sark is, is one of the, probably the biggest most interesting thing about this but Sark is just something else as a kind of well, anomaly. Well, I mean, where do you even begin with this just strange little island? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a, uh, it's a crown dependency of a crown dependency, isn't it? Yes, well, yeah. 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 Sark is a sort of quasi-autonomous part of the Balawick of Guernsey. Yeah. The sort of old feudal fight of Guernsey. And Guernsey is, of course, not part of the United Kingdom. This is something that not everybody knows. It is it, it technically is counted as an overseas dependency, so overseas territory. So it's the same category as Bermuda and places like that. But it is fully autonomous. It is fully autonomous. And the other thing about well, let, let's first of all let's talk about Sark. Sark is a Channel Island. It's in the Channel Islands. It's to the east of Guernsey. It's got about six hundred people. Now Sark compared to. Um, Nui's actually tiny. It's, it's much much smaller. Stark is about three miles long and a mile across. It, it is legitimately the size of campus. You can look at a picture of it from the from the air, and it looks just like hilariously small. And it's got little islands off it that you can. I mean, you could you could stand on one side of the island and po- probably throw a paper aeroplane off the other side. You know? well, not not, <laughs> not quite. Now. Just do a, a brief bit about the history of Sark, because Sark's got quite a long and sort of varied and interesting history. Sark, originally, it's, it's believed to have been uh, part of one of the old Breton kingdoms, which is why you get, you get these places like, names like Brezu. Brezu, I don't know how to pronounce it. Again, it's <laughs> And uh, other things like one of the systems we're going to bring up is the Trezium. These are, I think, these are, these are, these are Breton origin words. Breton origin words have a lot of Zs and Hs and... Uh, so a lot of the sort of um, a lot of the etymology of a lot of the place names and things is Breton. It was then part of the Duchy of Normandy. It was uh, one of William the Conqueror directly controlled it when he was the Duke of Normandy. And when he came over and conquered Britain in 
but obviously the Battle of Hastings, which obviously is probably not going to be news. Us telling you about the Battle of Hastings, so we say, oh god, I never knew that. <laughs> in 1066, William the Conqueror came over, and it then became just part of Northern England. It was just part of Northern England, it was a, just a feudal fief. And then it just never changed. It just stayed that way until 2008. It was a feudal fiefdom controlled by a man called Senior, which is was the title of the Lord of Sark. And that was pretty much, I mean, I think in 1556, it was granted to a man called Helia de Carteret by Elizabeth I. And they, they just, they ruled it from then on, but it was always, it was always a feudal state. And there were all sorts of just obscure... So these little landed gentry. It was mostly most of the population. About six hundred people lived there. Most of them are just these sort of little old school landed gentry people. They've been there for years, and there's a lot of very prominent families. Channel Islands is is like this. The whole Channel Islands is largely it's just full of old eccentric landed sort of Anglo-French gentry <laughs> and uh, wealthy tax um, exiles, <laughs> wealthy tax exiles, and then just the people who you know work in the hotels and. Uh, you know, just do all the little stuff on the island, and you know, there's all sorts of very interesting, just, just things about you know, what 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 powers the senior used to have and things that you used to be able to do. Uh, yeah, there's this thing called the Tresium, which was where the senior of Sark had a right to claim eighty percent, it was something eighty percent of all uh, profit made from a land deal. So if you're going to sell it, he rented the land to the people who it was all leased to tenant landholders, just in the same way that it was always done in the feudal system. And he um, would take 80% of all the deals, and that's why that's when he got paid, so it was money. They changed that when they did the, the reform in 2008, which I think they introduced democracy and they got rid of this feudal system, although a lot of it still came around. And the, this, this one of the main catalysts for changing this was obviously people like the Barclay brothers, who were buying up a lot of the land on Sark, have been doing it for sort of 30, 40 years, just so trying to sort of build up, buy up the land on Sark and turn it into a tourist destination and make a lot of money off it. Some of the other things the senior had rights to, the senior had the sole right on the island to keep pigeons. Until 2008, he was the only person allowed to have an unspayed dog. <laughs> the only person allowed to have a dog that was, was unspayed. So there was all sorts of strange things with this feudal baron. Also, this weird little twee. And Sark is such a strange twee. Most people are old and posh and have been there for years. And there were all these, these twee little rules. And it's a dark sky community. You can't. There are no street lamps. It's, it, there's no light pollution at all. It's, um, there's no street lamps. You know, you can only see with your car lights at night. Famously, automobiles abandoned the island. Yes, and, and, and another thing, divorce wasn't recognised on Sark until 2000, the year 2000, because it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it, is, it doesn't have to follow British law, which is why it's also it's now a tax. It's been a sort of tax haven for years, and that the tax haven thing will come on to that later. It was called the Sark, the Sark Lark. Sark Lark. going to come on to another interesting fact about this is just an aside. For for hundreds of years, the main. Um, Family on one of the big families on Sark, which held the Seneschal position. We have Seneschal, the senior. The Seneschal is like the cycle, um, it was a three year sort of chief justice. Was the, the Lemuzuria family. And the Lemuzuria family, uh, they controlled, they were a big family on Sark for many, many years. There, uh, they then changed their name to Lemuzurier. And a member of the Lemuzuria family was a man called John Lemuzuria. And I don't know if anybody knows who John Lemuzuria is. No, probably no. somebody listening chatting it out John Lemuzuria was the man who played Sergeant Wilson in Dad's Army really oh wow, oh, wow. Oh, yeah and his family was a big big political family on Sark 
Anyway, we're going to talk about David and Frederick Barclay. Oh, yes. David and Frederick Barclay are, and this is the only way I can really think to describe them, they are like the villains from a Dickens novel. <laughs> <laughs> They're very, very rarely photographed in public, and the only fam- photo you ever see of them is this one of them in matching suits. They're identical twins. Identical twins, collecting their OBEs together, so they've both got knighted. And they are, they are, they're just, they're identical. And they, they used to say that the only way you can tell the difference is they part their hair on different sides. <laughs> uh, David and Frederick Barclay are, they're not actually the people that own Barclays Bank. This is a common misconception. Oh. The Barclay brothers, they were into all sorts of things, they saw in Littlewoods, like, um, department store. Department store, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because, because the thing is, I reckon the actual CEO of Barclays has better things to do than terrorising a small island nation. <laughs> <laughs> but what they're most famous for, David and Frederick Barclay, is their press barons. They own the Spectator and the Telegraph Media Group. So yeah, the yeah. So they're, they're most famous for that. They're, they're very controversial for that as well. But they are technically they're tax exiles. They they they're registered in Monaco. They live in Monaco. They don't pay any tax. But they are also residents of Sart. They own the island of Brezu, to the just just off the coast of Sart, literally just off the coast. It's a small, so small. And on that island, they have built an enormous, like faux Norman Gothic castle. Wow! Like a literal kind of, don't be the castle castle. And, and, and do they live in it together? They do live in it together. There's. I also, well, they, they have to be that creepy. They, they have a very creepy relationship with each other, it seems, because they, they live together, they've always lived together, and they must have been married because they have children. But I heard it described, in one of the articles I read, they said they're four children, which made it sound like they had the children together. The Barclay brothers have spent 30, 40 years sort of lobbying, buying up land on Sark, having, building, having, having hotels, they own three out of six hotels on the island. Yeah. Uh, they own a lot of businesses, they own a lot of stuff. And they... Uh, essentially spent 34 years using lawsuits using their vast wealth and lawsuits to lobby against uh, the feudal the feudal state on Sark and try and you know essentially pay less tax to be able to buy up and make more money off the things they own to yeah. you know because the people of Sark because they're kind of the old boys they're quite resistant of a lot of stuff they want to live in this kind of secluded sort of um, upper middle class paradise of all these old tenant landlords and it's all kind of between they love it the Barclay Brothers essentially want to turn it into a theme park they want to turn it into a um a Barclay Brothers Island Resort, essentially, a Channel Island Resort. And this has caused a lot of trouble. They they were able to eventually dismantle, they, they, they were able to do a lot of things, they were able to change a few minor things with losses, but eventually the big thing they managed to do in 2008, they were able to convince Sark to dismantle its system of government um, in order to comply with the European Convention on Human Rights by electing your lawmakers. So Sark was the first time going to elect uh, the chief police, which is their parliament, they were going to do an election. In a 30-member chamber, the Barclay Brothers lobbied for it, they got it. There was this big election, and they lost. <laughs> um, uh, I, mean, I mean, ironically enough, after all that lobbying to get the political system yeah. changed, it's actually in contravention to the European laws of human rights, again, because the Seneschal was technically an unelected official, and, and some of his powers were, were transferred from another person. So, <laughs> so, so essentially, it's still breaking the, the, the European convention. It was completely pointless. They yeah, chucked a load of money at this, and nothing came of it yeah. in the end. Well, no, the Barclays threw a load of money yeah. at it. And, 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 and the European Commission was just looking at this, like, Visible at nature, just going. I don't care to be honest. I mean, I wouldn't. It's, it's like being the minister of the Commonwealth. Are they, are they technically EU? Because I know some of the crown dependencies are and aren't. It depends on the. I don't think. Yeah, so. no, no. But it was, it was, it was specifically the European Commission. Okay. The they have a man called Kevin Delaney who is just he's a thug. He's just yeah. their sort of jackboot thug on the island, um, and he owns their estates. On he's their sort of business manager on the island. He also runs quite a nasty propaganda sheet. 
uh, which she puts around, which, which is going to come up later. It's not going to. It's not. Uh, we, we'll get to that. We don't want to jump ahead with this Sark thing. Get all the chronology right. So <laughs> there was this the 2008 general election in Sark. They got this man Kemdey to put, put these lovely sheets, a manifesto for Sark. It's basically about turning it into this this thing. But there's a big class element to it because the poorer people on Sark, uh, the people that work in the hotels and things, they're quite happy to work for the Barley Brothers because you know it's. It is, it is just this landholders club it's this thing of these, these um, feudal kind of tenant holders and these old school uh, boys and a lot of these things they do to have their nice little secluded paradise uh, like the, 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 and this little twee kind of thing with all the, the dark sky and everything it, it, it's, it, it benefits them so the other side are by no means great the white brothers are awful but a lot of these people go. Oh, I know the diet must turn it into a theme park, but you know at least they don't have to go to Guernsey and sell Christmas trees. You know, like, so, <laughs> yeah, um, they brought you know jobs and things to the island. So they had uh, thirty candidates. Two people were elected, and twenty-eight were elected in a, an island-wide election. Twenty-three of the candidates elected were supporters of the uh, old the, old, the old feudal system sort of thing, and five were Barclay candidates. So they lost. And the um, the person that the the wife of the senior assistant went. The quote was, well, the Barclays wanted to have all this democracy business and now they're sore because they've lost. And they did get very sore because what they then did is they got Kevin Delaney <coughs> to close down all of the businesses they own on the island. What? Which employed about a third of the people on Sark. Wow. Um, they closed down all the all their hotels, pulled all of their investment out of the island. That put 100, about 140 people on Sark out of work. And they did this two weeks before Christmas. Oh! oh. In the wow. most kind of... Dickensian <laughs> I'm taking my toys and leaving they're too creepy they're a bit too close <laughs> identical twins they live in a castle they tax them literally ruining Christmas for people. And <laughs> how close is this castle to this island because I hope really, it can be really heard close. like laughing of standing out on top of the walls with sort of yeah. a teeny castle hand cackling these people well they're not right. there most of the time which is the thing I mean it's, it's, it's but I hope they were as I say like the, the feudal aristocracy is not Great. On the, I mean, it's all—it's all a bit. I would. I don't. I want to live there. It's not really the sort of place that appeals to me. But these <laughs> part the Barley Brothers. Are anyway, eventually, because of just public outcry, they 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 reversed it very slowly, very quietly. Reversed it. But Kevin Delaney is is quite a character. And he has quite a reputation. Kevin Delaney present pre- prints this newsletter called the Sark Newsletter, which they put in mailboxes and Sir Ian Young, and it's just a propaganda rag against for the Barley Brothers against the feudal. Aristocracy, but then it just started just smearing people. Wow. The postmistress first they smeared the postmistress for whatever reason. Then there was a very very famous incident with a man called um, Peter Council, who was a, a young doctor from London. Oh got, yes, yes, a he was the only doctor on Sark, and so just before, just on January the fifth, two thousand twelve, Diana Beaumont, who's the wife of John Beaumont, who is the senior, who is the feudal lord of Sark. Collapsed on a stroke while brushing her teeth. Um, 76, in the history of, of, of ill health, Peter Council, the doctor, was summoned. Um, they had to get her to the hospital in, in Guernsey, it's now hospital on Sark, by lifeboat. They, they took the lifeboat on the island. There was this bad weather, but they got there, she was treated, and she was okay, she was fine. There was then this newsletter put out by, by this man, David, um, the, uh, Kevin Delaney, which just smeared this man for, for negligence. The gross agent saying he shouldn't take the boat. Why didn't they take the helicopter? And the only helicopter on the island is on Brazil and is owned by the Barclays. <laughs> oh. oh, and yeah. this man was—he was hounded by the by, by this newsletter, and he quit. 
we just didn't have enough and he quit and he went back to London and, and, and yeah. And, and, yeah left the yeah. island like doc- leaving the island doctorless oh <laughs> Delaney what are you doing so what I don't really understand about the Barclay brothers is that they spend very little time on this island I'm sure, I'm sure they swung around right, across the globe doing whatever whatever business transactions they need to do yet they find time out of their busy schedules to essentially bully and harass 600 people <laughs> on this little island who just don't want to be bothered <laughs> you know what I mean this, this story um, you know like this, this man Kevin Delaney he's just he is just like a like a, like a cliched kind of jackboot thug. For the yeah. All yeah. sounds like a yeah. really really like poorly yeah. made children's cartoon with them as the evil Obviously, people across the river. Like, ah! And then had this sort of one incompetent yeah. thug. He lives on this island. Everybody hates him, and he's, he just doesn't care. And he walks around the streets with these, these, these like these bodyguards and there's all this stuff. They've got this bodyguards. This is very long. The very very long article called the Sark Spring in the New York Times, which is great. It's very very long. It's mostly just this man going around and start talking to all these twee kind of midsummer murder style characters like the <laughs> vicar and blokes with names like Peter De, Peter De Gillis or like <laughs> these sort of small hold small tenant hold farmers. Um, it's 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 very but it's very very interesting. There's a lot of stuff in here. Like every the, the lease for Sark is one pound seventy nine a year. They, they pay they pay the Queen that every year by by bank transfer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Get your sons on this direct debit. But yes, this man Kevin Delaney, he's a uh, this, he, he's this, they've got him on the other. The, the, the thing about this is the Bartley brothers seem to be so um, brash. Like, they're so kind of like they don't care. They're so kind of like I think they just assume cause it's, it's out of the way. It's small. They can kind of behave how they what they want. They, they can kind of uh, use whatever sort of tactics and methods they want. They can just be so brazen about it because then like, nobody's going to care. I think they were a bit surprised when this kind of got publicising the press mm. but, but, but of course it's going to get publicised because it's, 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 it's petulant and it's ridiculous and they're prominent they're prominent press barons in, in the United Kingdom so you know it's, it's interesting but um, it just goes on and on beyond that it just goes on and on this, the whole thing with the, the Bartley Brothers has been this is saga they call it, the, the situation they call it on saga and it, it's, it's showing signs of calming down a bit now but um, it, was, it, was, it was a huge thing for, for, for a long time I mean it's, it's, Sark is it's one of those places it's probably never going to change I mean the Bartley Brothers are going to have this stake in it and they're going to do their thing, but this old kind of way they have in Sark, and the way most of them are, are older, yeah, uh, they're, they're more elderly people. It's they're old, they're old, they're posh, they're, they've been there for hundreds of years. They're people who, who moved there to be part of this. They, they like the idea of living in this sort of twee English. It's just an inherently just amusing situation. So you've got this island, which is pretty much like you know the last bastion of House Targaryen <laughs> in the ocean, and you get these completely brazen Dickensian villains coming along, annoying these people to no end, and forcing democracy upon them. And then, unsurprisingly, when you put the system of the people's choice on these people who don't like these people. The, the, the residents are obviously going to vote against the Bartley brothers. I have no idea really what they were thinking was going to happen at what, that point. I don't have much sympathy for them though because they they caused this. I'm going to yeah. talk about this in a minute. No, I was just going to say, very sound. Most sounds like Blair going, "Oh, Iraq, that will love a bit of democracy, won't it?" it <laughs> oh, Sark, they'll love a bit of democracy, won't yeah, it? Yeah, it's like, like that. Though, do they? Yeah, <laughs> they do. They do quite. They, they kind of. I think now they've got the democracy. They've kind of accepted that you know 
if, we, if, we, if we would have done it from scratch, I said if we'd done it from scratch, we wouldn't have done it this way, the feudal way. We did it because it, it just works and everybody's kind of broadly happy. Mm-hmm. But now they've got the, the democracy and that's fine because well, the Barney brothers haven't taken control, so they're quite happy with that as well. Well, well, well the thing is, that it was never about democracy, though, was it, realistically? No, it was about being able to take over the it, island and it, tell it, it was corporate. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, was uh, it, was, it, it was about um, lowering. Low, no, actually, what the, one of the things that they wanted to do was to uh, change the way the inheritance act works because the work, the work was this very, very strange, I think, it was like, <coughs> I think called primogenitor uh, uh, succession. Oh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Firstborn. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. First, firstborn gets everything. Um, and everything is all well on that as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think, and they wanted to change it to a uh, what, what's the other one called? Um, Gavelkind. Equally. Gavelkind. Yeah, they, they just wanted to leave the castle to all their children equally, and they managed to get that changed. But they got the change before the elections. Uh, but just to give you an example, the old Dame of Sark said this in her autobiography. Just to give you an example of what Sark's kind of ethos is. Sark is probably the only true remaining fiscal paradise in the world, and the ideal island for anyone who requires or desires absolute seclusion. Uh, it, it's defined by what it resists: cars, streetlights, income taxes. You need a headlight, headlamp to get around at night. This is from the this is from the New Yorker article. A biking on unpaved trails under a dark sky, spackled with stars. So it's it's got this kind of whole English, and it's, it's got. The, we're going to go into this because like people, this has occurred to people to take over Sark before. <laughs> That's another yeah. story. Sark, just some more, but just some more interesting little facts. Um, the, the senor was is still entitled to any flotsam or jetsam washes ashore under the rights of the laws. <laughs> in Sark, you can issue an injunction to stop a neighbour from like building a fence or something like that by reciting the Lord's Prayer in French. <laughs> you Wait. Do all of this stuff. Like, that has legal binding. Yes, that has legal binding. In this is what happens. Do you recite... Say- when you get 600 people over a thousand years to sign their own laws, it just becomes this weird who you, joke. Who do you recite it to? Do you recite it to the neighbours? Oh, I, I don't know if you do it like glove slapping somebody in a duel. If you go out yeah. to them and recite it at them, or if you go down to court, bang on the door and shout it. Oh, father. It's not, it's not brought up in my research, but yeah, it's... Uh, and then the other thing, of course, and which, this is just another anecdote, this isn't related, it's, it's related to the yeah. takeovers, but there's another story which illustrates... In 1990, an unemployed French physicist had one of those ideas that people occasionally have of, I'm going to go take over a small, a small island and call <laughs> himself king. So the fact um, he's a physicist makes it all the more better. Yeah, like yeah. He was trying to set up like a mad like, lab. Yeah, he wasn't general mad dog. Yeah. <laughs> he, had a, he, had, he had a gun and a boat. He turned up with the boat, he parked it outside. The, the, the mistake he made is he put a sign saying, at noon tomorrow I'm going to come and take the island over. Uh, which wouldn't necessarily have stopped him, but it, it just it was bad. Look, this this point, Sark was protected by a lone constable. <coughs> constable an old feud, the old feudal system had a constable who was rotated, which is how crime punishment used to be done in, in, in the feudal system. This constable at the time was a dairy farmer on the island. He um, he, he went over on the day when the invasion was going to happen on his tractor and happened to stumble across this French physicist at the side of the road, who happened at that exact moment to be reloading his gun, changing the magazine, fiddling with it. The guy got off the tractor, tackled him, took the gun <laughs> off, and that was it. <laughs> what, it was a fa- <laughs> failed invasion was of Was he Sark. actually shooting people? No, no, he hadn't done anything at that point. Oh. But this, He's preparing. But was he, was, he intent- was he intent to actually go and kill people? No, I think they were all just surrendered to him, I think. <laughs> they, were, they were just waiting for the mainland to send somebody to stop Yeah, him. exactly. Yeah. Last, uh, Another interesting thing about Sark, um, Sark was actually occupied later by the Nazis. Well, Sark, Sark, Sark was occupied during the Second World War by the yeah. Nazis. Yeah. Every, yeah. The whole yeah. of the Channel Islands yeah. were... Yeah. Uh, Famously so, yeah. Yeah, it was raided in, in 1942 by British troops, so... Um, yeah. 
And uh, I, I, I just like the idea that uh, one, like one German commandant was sent there with his interpreter just to oversee this small island and do basically nothing for the entirety of the war. No, I'm, I'm assuming that's where they put the incompetence. No, that would be like yeah, a, yeah, yeah, it's a an excellent version of LOLO. It would just be <laughs> people with one German officer, one incompetent sergeant. With, you know, <laughs> there was say. definitely a Channel Four fil- film or something about. Maybe Guernsey or Jersey. The, the, like, if you did it on Sark, it'd be great. There was no, um, there was no commandant Ooh. for Sark. There was a commandant no. for Guernsey whose uh, name was Albrecht Lands. That was uh, the man given the cushiest commandant post yeah. in the Second World <laughs> well, War. Well, up until 1944, it was. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes. I don't, I don't know what happened to Albrecht Lands. Maybe you can, maybe our viewers can research for themselves. <laughs> I, mean, so, I mean, Lord Hawhaw had a quite cushy post until 45. Yeah. But okay. <laughs> we can go on about Sark all day because it's so strange. I mean, like, but, but you know that 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 Sark, that Sark. I mean, it's it's. <laughs> we, just, we we would recommend you all yeah. just to go out and research Sark because mm. they, we've gone over quite a lot of it, but there's just so many more oddities about this. Just oh no, no we're going to go through one thing, Sark. This is it. Okay. Yeah, this is why you should have not as much sympathy for the these sort of feudal aristocrats of Sark who wanted to be left alone with their own little strange, uh, twee little way of life. Too much because they started this problem. Right, the Sarklark resulted resulted from a strange quirk of Channel Islands law because Channel the Channels have been making up their own bloody laws for hundreds of years, and it just seemed to it just, it just a very random collection of things that slipped through the net. Uh, Guernsey and Jersey, uh, they there was this there was this strange little um, loophole in the law where you were liable to pay corporation tax in Guernsey and Jersey, which isn't that high to start with. Um, only if your directors' meetings happened in Guernsey or Jersey, your annual meetings. So what hundreds of companies did um, is they appointed feudal tenant landholders and all these old boys on SARP as their board of directors. And they held their directors' meetings on SARP. So for about 18 years, from the 80s to to 1999 when it was abolished, they... um, to make sort of make, make money, made money off this as directors, these all these good old boys <coughs> in Sark served on the board of directors of like literally hundreds of companies, some of which they'd never heard of before. <laughs> they were the board of directors, and they used this to get around tax laws in Guernsey. Just these companies used it, and they made a good bit of money out of it. The Sark people, the, the Sark people that served on the um, on the on the board of directors, and that was partially the kind of culture that the tax haven culture they already have and this kind of thing and this kind of reputation of the Sark was what first attracted the Bartley brothers to Sark this is what started this kind of this kind of trend has allowed the Bartley Brothers to get this foothold and buy it in ten towns. Oh, it really was yeah. a case of being hoist by your own baton yeah, they've tried yeah. to make this they've tried to make money by this little scheme and it's backfired on them so to a certain extent I'm not Tremendously, it does seem like everyone involved in this Sark business, like the Bartley brothers and the residents, just seem to like shoot themselves in the foot oh, at every single opportunity. It's like the cast of every single Agatha Christie novel, yeah, in one, in one island. <laughs> it's it's very strange. But that Sark, I mean, Sark, you know, one thing we say about Sark goes against the grain, has done for its whole history. So 
that's that's that. So we're going to talk about the theme we've kind of got so far is these small places and because they're small, they're open to uh, corruption. Yeah, the, the, the Sark itself because it's small, it's, it's open to corruption to take over. Well, <coughs> we brought it up with Nui. We knew he's done okay, but um, yeah. we brought it up with in, in Nui about oh, why doesn't anybody just come and try and make invade it, make him their king, uh, make himself king of Nui. Sark, yeah, somebody tried it. The Bartley brothers have been trying it for for decades. We're now going to go to a, a slightly darker example of what happens when communities can, can happen when communities get too small and too isolated and too much of a law unto themselves. And the place is called Pitcairn Island. Well, the, the island is called Pitcairn Island, but there's, there's an island called Pitcairn, which is the only one they, that's, that's uh, habited. But there are four of these islands called the Pitcairn Islands. They are in the Southern Pacific Ocean. They are. They're miles and miles to the east of New Zealand. They're near places like Tahiti. There's not a lot there. And they are inhabited by 56 people live there. Originally, yeah. mostly from four main families. It's the least populated national jurisdiction in the world. All of these people are almost entirely, because they're the only people who still live there. Nobody moves yeah. there. They used to have a lot more people who lived there. But there's a few that have stayed out sort of stubbornness or whatever. Because they, well, as we'll find out when we do the history. Uh, most of them moved to Norfolk Island, which is similarly lowly populated, but a lot more populated than, than Pitcairn. Almost all of them are descendants of um, Tahitian women and Tahitian men, and the mutiny on the bounty mutineers. Uh, I think specifically nine of them. Um, nine of the mutineers from the bounty, there were more than that, but a lot of them ended up in Tahiti. Nine of them, including the, the most famous one, the man who led the mutiny, Fletcher Christian. <laughs> and Fletcher Christian's descendant is the current mayor of um, uh, Pitcairn uh, who's their head of, head of government and the man who we're going to talk about in a lot of deal, Steve Christian, who is a dark figure mm. was also part of this, this Christian family what happened is they turned up in 1790 they, they turned up on, on Pitcairn it was completely uninhabited, they formed this kind of society there with Tahitian women and Tahitian men most of them just died within years. Most of them were killed. Um, I think Fletcherson was murdered in 793 in a dispute. A lot of them died of, um, of illness and disease and various things. So they, they were just trying to set up a, their own island society with virtually nothing. But the society continued to exist. They, they continued. They had already had children a lot, of them, and their children had children. And eventually, they they scratched out something of a of a living, and it grew and it grew. Um, and then in I th- it became a British colony in 1838. It was actually one of the first territories to extend voting rights to women. Oh, really? Oh, so it, it started really? with, 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 with very liberal intentions, a very liberal kind of pedigree. <laughs> uh, by the, by the mid 1850s, it was kind of outgrowing the island. So they, 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 they were offered Norfolk Island. A lot of them settled there. It was empty for a while. But after 18 months, 17 people returned back. They wanted to just go back to live in Pitcairn. Five years later, another 27 followed. So there's about 40 people. It grew again, it grew to maybe 100 people at some point. It's sort of peak, it's now got 56. And, you know, that, that's sort of it, really, for, from then for the next 100 or so years. It was, just, it was just this sort of slightly strange little place where they were all descendants of the same group of mutineers. And they've all. They, they, they live in. There's, not, there's, not, there's 56 people, there's about. There's probably about 10 buildings. They have a mayor, they have a parliament, they have elections. And <laughs> but um, over about a thirty-year period, ending in two thousand and four, there was a long. Um, there was eventually there was, a, there was a trial. In two thousand and four, charges were laid against seven men from Pitcairn, six living abroad, which was about a third of the male population on the island, for a long 
historical series of sexual assault allegations and allegations of rape and allegations of sexual assault against children. And one of those men was Steve Christian, the island's mayor. And the way they were able to do this um, was he was so isolated. They were able to use the fact that there were not many men on the island, not many people on the island, and simply because not many men, um, to bully and uh, control people and, and enforce silence. And like they got away with years and years because the pit game was just so far away and there were so few people. Um, and this has continued to this day because in 2010 there were allegations made against the mayor then, Jay Warren, of finding child pornography on his computer. So I don't know what's going on. There was, there was, it, it was, there was a lot, there was a very shady, noxious kind of culture going on on Pitcairn for about 30 years. And it, in an island that small, it's, it's, it's easy to do it. It's easy to get away with it. And it's it's like you know imagine if you're like one of these people living on these islands, only fifty six people, and you've got this. There's so many so many who are involved in this kind of uh, thing. It's all a bit. Uh, it's not Wicker Man and Tame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know this is the interesting thing about Pitcairn is that Pitcairn uh, had it had I mean, other than the history of this, just quite interesting. I mean, it had had this, but you know everybody in <coughs> in Pitcairn. They seem to be called. If you look at the list of the mayors of Pitcairn, I mean, there's it's their four families, so it's. It's just literally everybody's a member of the same family. So, um, uh, I'll just read the surnames. Christian, Warren, Warren, Christian, Christian, Warren, Young, Christian, Young, Christian, 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 Young, Christian, 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 Young. This is just the magistrates in reverse order. Christian, 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 Young. You do wondering, you do wonder when the union breeding is going to set in, don't you? It's already saying, that's, that's the point. Yeah. And they're that intertwined now. It's too late. <laughs> yeah, but, 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 I mean, I mean, I mean, the minimum number of people you need to set up like a, a new, a new set of people with with enough gene, but basically a large enough gene pool without complication is around ten thousand. Yeah, and they have no isolation. The thing is, no they, one goes there, no yeah. one moves there for obvious reasons. Uh, it's it's all fluctuates. Ooh, not but really. Not, not not now. Not anymore. Most people like. Obviously, young people, people who were born there, uh, moved to places like New Zealand to get jobs yeah. and do education and stuff. And then, and, and then, then, and then left the um, yeah the dubious elements of their country. Yeah, yeah. about <laughs> half of Pitcairn um, population fled. Mm. Yeah, I'm not. I, I mean, I couldn't speculate. It was to do with the um, in a few cases, I would imagine, have something yeah. to do with the. Uh, I'm sure it was going on, fact. but a lot of them just left because. There's nothing there. Yeah. There's nothing there. They wanted to go and young, young, like a lot of these small communities. Nui, the, the, the average age, they're very old. Uh, Sark, they're sort of quite old. Pitcairn, they're sort of quite old. Um, the, the average age on Pitcairn is 40 something. And it is a very. The kids, the kids they just go. They don't, they, well, they don't want to well, be well, there. That was the case with Sark. Um, they didn't even necessarily have a, a basic education system. Well, they did, they did have a rudimentary one. Well, they they move yeah, five yeah, don't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, but with a group like several years into one class. But they don't, e- they don't even necessarily have a proper GCSE system. They only prefer to provide very basic ones. Yeah, they don't even yeah. have. They, they don't have A levels. As far as I'm aware, with Pitcairn, they go to not mainland, but like nearby yeah. islands. Not actually very many ma- nearby islands. Pitcairn is very isolated. Mm. Yeah, they probably go to Haiti, but um, Pit um, Pitcairn like Sark. The thing about Sark is that Sark doesn't actually have to follow the English curriculum. It does. Though. It, it, it does start out of um, it does out of tradition. But it doesn't have Sark likes tradition. If you haven't noticed, <laughs> but, but they, um, they, they yeah, they're not they're not actually obliged to. So there's a lot there's a lot of quirks in the Sark education system. Pitcairn, just on a lighter note, Pitcairn's 
2013 election, we again have this problem of obscenely tight, small elections. Sean Christian was elected mayor of Pitcairn in 2013 with three candidates. Sean Christian, Simon Young, Brenda Christian. In the first round, Sean Christian and Simon Young both received 18 votes. Brenda Christian received four. So then went to the second round, both the, the four votes that were, were, went to Brenda Christian split right down the middle. So it was 2020 again. They then went to a third round and somebody who had left a blow... No, no, actually no, because the, the turnout went down. There were two invalid and blank votes, or blank votes in the first <coughs> round, two again in the second round, three in the third round. So one of Simon Young's voters just spoiled his ballot in the third round. That is how Sean Christian was elected mayor. <laughs> in the island council elections, there was somebody who... She wasn't elected, she was the, she was the last person not elected. She came, she was just outside, and her name is, and this is what they have on the sheet, Sue. <laughs> Sue. No, no second name, just Sue. Yeah. That's her name, Sue, which is... Everyone knows Sue. Yeah, just just that's Sue. Good. I think maybe that's the problem with Wikipedia as opposed to the actual island. Though. I'm sure she does have a second name. Mm. Oh, yeah, no, but I mean, on the ballot. Oh, I've, I've, I've 50 people. It. You could probably think 50 period, nothing else like... I mean, it's, not like it's not like you had a lot of choice for yeah. Sue's in that island, did yeah. you? Yeah. Hmm. There's two down the road, or there's... Yeah. So, I suppose, <laughs> what, if we want to have a general discussion about this, do we try and have a little bit of a, a, little bit of a sort of chat around the issue? I think the one thing that unites all three of these is, you know, it might be nice, these are tiny little islands, they might be nice, uh, it might be quite kind of like cutesy and, 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 and all this kind of stuff to have these kind of little communities, and you go, oh, bless them, I think they have, they have a constituency in 20 people vote. Can it can it just get too small? Can, can, can it, is that is it these things they, go, they get too small? And stuff gets too small and too kind of insular. And the, the, to have these political systems on these islands, very insular, very 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 personalised. Is it can it can well, obviously we know it can be dangerous. Is it is it just inherently I, dangerous? I would say so, but also I would say it's the just because there's no influx of new people, yeah. no influx of new ideas as well. It very obviously Sark is on the longest running one. Mm. Yeah. That when nothing really changed for nearly a thousand years, yeah. Pitcairn, I'm guessing Nui are relatively similar well, to how they yeah. were. Well, They're very isolated. Well, I think I think it all comes down to the central, like, central well ideology and the actual uh, you know central like dogma within each of the islands. So I think I think Nui is actually quite inoffensive, and quite nice, it and is, quite, yeah, tranquil, yeah. Like, quite tranquil. It's, uh, it's because it has quite this laid back, peaceful. Yeah. No, doesn't really want to bother anyone. It just wants to be left alone. Essentially, it just wants to give its people a nice, a nice oh. life. I assume. Whereas uh, whereas Pitcairn was started by smugglers. I think it, like the scurrilous, uh, scurrilous people that it had. Uh, Salty so, yeah, They are famous yeah. in Pitcairn. Famous in Pitcairn for being. Really incredibly suspicious outside. So the degree that um, what's his name, Ben Fogel, the uh, famous, well, vaguely famous, sort of like nature. I'd TV say he's guy. famous. Yeah, he's famous. He's he's yeah, he's the sort of guy you'd recognise if you saw him. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, Ben Fogel went to the island to do some. Sort of, I think it was something about berries. He was looking at some sort of berries, um, and they arrested him on suspicion of spying. Um, and he eventually eventually got released. But like, they don't want. Anyone inside? And the thing is, as well, were you care. looking for rapes? <laughs> yeah, it probably. We don't do that anymore. To be fair, it probably might have been. Well, I was looking up, and basically, they just go and get on rotation one policeman, like police officer from New Zealand, is rotated there for really? twelve months. Yes, I think uh, do they, have they started doing that now. Yeah, yeah, that that yeah, was yeah. no. Well, they had one from England originally. The person who investigated the 
the like Peter Fobbering was actually from Kent. He's oh, really? been there for twelve months. Till two thousand, the a resident of Pitcairn was appointed the island's sole police officer, which also emigrated immigration and customs. And then since two thousand, they actually started like He's rotating in. The problem was, I think Steve Christian was both the mayor and the police officer at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I actually think the police officers that succeeded <coughs> and preceded him were also people indicted in the in the trials. Yeah. I mean, I mean it, it does seem that like you know, Nui may even be an exception. It seems that when you have these small little political units that are so open mm. to takeover and so open to, to to kind of you can you can use these. I mean, you see like, the tax savings, especially at the Cayman Islands and things like that. Mm. It, and and then you, when we do micronations, we'll see this as well. This kind of if you get into a small unit and you kind of isolate yourself and nobody bothers you, you can just get up to all sorts. And it seems like people do this. People that want to get up to all sorts do it to get up to all sorts. You know, people who live in Sark, I mean, I, I assume that many of them, many of the people that move there do so because they want to escape and they want to live in that sort of strange way where there's no, there's no street lamps and everybody's kind of like, uh, good morning. It's all like living in... Well, the, the main, uh, I mean, I mean, I'm assuming that the big, the big problem, and the big uh, comparison you have to make between these two, um, like so, so say a very small nation and a very large nation, is that a large nation has a lot of uh, bureaucratical and generally legislative inertia. So it's very, it's very difficult to move. So even a prime minister or a large party takes a lot of power and a lot of political capital to change very, very small elements of the law. Yeah. Whereas it's very easy to change something on these small islands. Mm-hmm. It's when you feel like there's nothing necessarily stopping you, like whether whether it's just like general bureaucracy or just the general uh, mechanics of the political system that you're within, um, because you are accountable to that yeah. if you're in a big country. <coughs> but in a small country, you don't have that bound on you. And things don't change. You things don't kind of change. Like if you get it, it kind of the small. If you get really small, yeah, then you can kind of swing an election by uh, by someone down the pub. Yeah. yeah, you insult somebody down the pub and then you use the election because you vote votes against you and that's like yeah. two votes, that's like a 20% swing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I really want to know how that, that Dion uh, Hortifu went from like 11 to 7 votes. And it's <laughs> like, yeah, you know. Um, but, you know, if you've got some, if somewhere about the size of Sark, if, if everybody's just, if 200 people on the island are pro one thing and 300 are pro the other thing, then not, not much is going to change because you know, there's not a lot of people moving in and out. Not a lot of people being yeah. born, you know. Sort of like with Sark, it sort of reminded me of last week. Yeah, uh, talking about entryism. Yeah, like, it's, uh, yeah, very, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. entryism taken to the extreme. Yeah, yeah. Well, national that's level. That's what the Barclays wanted to do. They yeah. wanted to create a company town. They yeah. buy up the places. They hire people to work in the places. They live on the island, and then eventually you can just vote. You yeah, exactly. Those yeah, yeah. Vote them in. Problem is, a lot of the people who worked in the Barclays hotels yeah. didn't. As like a last thing for me, just before I go on to the general conversation, I think Pitkent has the highest prison population. By percentage ever. It's one guy, isn't it? Well, no, five people, that's 10.5% of the permanent population. <laughs> In hindsight, I've done a rough calculation. America is 0.7. I thought it was 0.07. Well, yeah. And that's the highest prison population country. I'm very surprised that Nui has its own penal system. That's not Nui, that's, that's Pitcairn. Pitcairn. Oh, Pitcairn. That's five people. It's from the <coughs> 2004. They, oh, made, they had to make a prison, and the British government had to hire the New Zealand government to basically run the prison for them because they didn't want to ship out prison officers from England. Oh, so they're all, to ru- they're all these people are actually Christian, they're all being held in prison in Pitt. They all, they all finished their sentences by 2010, but during the time they had the highest prison population on their life. Like, 2010, a, when was the ele- uh, investigation? 2004. 2004. They all went on to house arrest, so I think oh. it was just more, it's off, 
I would guess it's a lot of people on the outside just going, oh, I can't be bothered with this it, anymore. It, it, yeah. Isn't house arrest on that island just staying on the fucking island? Yeah, yeah. you are staying on this island. <laughs> You're probably okay. fine with a third of the island population in prison. You can't get anything done on the island. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, crimes maybe. to a halt. I mean, I mean, I mean surely, staying on the, surely staying on the Pitcairn Islands is the crime and also the punishment. <laughs> 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 yes, I mean... Why do they bother? Why do they bother? Why? Just, just move! Do you really have that much pride <coughs> in the fact that your ancestors um, unlawfully took control of a ship, um, it's all right, stole it's... a load of local women, crashed on a random island, uh, which is horrible in the middle of nowhere, and then all died within a few years? <laughs> it's, I think it's a lot like, you know, I read an interesting thing about the, uh, the people of Greenland. Who are neither, you know, interestingly, are neither Inuits nor Eskimos. They no. refer themselves as the people. Yeah. And um, and it's it's horrible. They don't live very long. And uh, but they live there out of um, pride, pride, and also a combination of pride and spite. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they, their people have always lived there, and it's it, they're very proud of the fact that people were able, to, their people were able to live in this place where nobody in their right mind would want to or could live. They um this idea of being, oh, we'll outlast you all. You know, like we'll outlast you all. We can live in any. We can live in these extreme climates, and they do it um, because they can to prove they still can. And I, I wonder if there's an element of that with pit care. It sounds it? like scouse civic pride, really. Anyway, um, <laughs> so that, that that's 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 our islands. I don't know if anybody's got any closing remarks. Should we have another little like you know vote on? Not not which was your favourite island nation, but who's your favourite media figure from this podcast? Is it Michael Jackson? Or who's the guy from Sark who did the... Kevin Delaney. Kevin Delaney. Kevin Delaney is my favourite because he is uh, like, he's like a spectre henchman. He's like a Bond. <laughs> he's, like, he's, like a, he's like a Bond villain henchman. Um, I just find him a hugely colourful figure. For, for me, it's between that and the French physicist who was... <laughs> his name was... I, just, I don't know his name. It wasn't listed anywhere in the research. But I think, yeah, he is the sort of ultimate just like stereotype of a henchman with no other reason other than being a henchman. I do like young Vivian. Because he won't let it go. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I don't know why, but he seems to be quite controversial. <laughs> there's nothing in He's controversial just in by time. time. Nobody is bothered to write down why 46, why they nearly, why they tried to vote him out of his constituency after all those years, why they voted him out as leader. I think you might have just got sick of him after a while. Was, 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 was Michael Jackson just a protest vote? If anyone is studying politics and wants to do a uh, dissertation on that, Tell us what it is. Yeah. We all want to know. Yeah, and actually, if you want to knit your station idea from anything that we say in this podcast, then go ahead. Just validate our existence. Do, do. Yeah. I, 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 I feel and, deeply and, touched. And, and reference us. Yeah, and reference us in the bibliography. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, and you better use that fucking Harvard system, you, you, you half-wit underground oaf. Uh, <laughs> all right, Ben, so who's what? your favourite? Oh, I like Delaney, because he... He reminds me of a sort of... He, I sort of picture him as kind of a Desi Noonan uh, oh, yeah. gangster figure. Like a bit a bit shady, but quite sort of glib. No, you know? In my head, he looks like Mark Warren. And he wears a, oh, yeah. and he wears a brown, like a long brown coat. And like a yeah. leather flat cap. See, I just sort of pictured him as like... Just a sort of general Guy Ritchie bruiser. <laughs> yeah, but I imagine he's quite posh in English. Really? No, he'll yeah, be upmarket so. folk. They're all everybody on Sark's. Where's he local? Is he born locally? I've no idea. Yeah, because uh, I, I imagine he's sort of shipped in for the mainland. To be I assume sort. he did, but I believe obviously he's, he, he he's a manager. For, he works for the Barclay Brothers in quite a high capacity. <laughs> anyway, back on track. Yeah. Uh, I'd probably say I like Michael Jackson. He sounds like a bit of a uh, 
bit of a bit of a nice character. Yeah, I like, all my medium, you know, I like produces newsletter for the island, Seal Nation. He's like the Bob Woodward of an island of a thousand people. <laughs> he, he is that. He is Chris O'Dowd from the program. I'm going to go home and read the Nui Stars Facebook page <laughs> to see what life on Nui is like. I really, I really hope you've enjoyed this week's Ballot Vox. Uh, well, you can you can watch you can listen to this exclusively on the Lemoncast uh, SoundCloud, and also maybe in future on other platforms as well. So if you listen to this on another platform, how's the future and what's it like? Send <laughs> us a yet? postcard. Um, we'll be back next week with any luck where we'll have some new guests we'll be discussing a new topic we might do internet the politics of the internet next week oh contentious due to be um, yeah sure to be contentious and riveting for those of you who are interested in that sort of thing so bring out your best game again oh god no actually that, that's going to be one rule of it we're not going to mention game again at all well because it's so boring yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, you spent an entire day researching it what are you talking about I was, I was very depressed <laughs> so you know just thank you very much to Cam Gearing Ben Walker Pasky Miranda and obviously me and Gabriel right. who are the hosts we're going to be in it every week um, have a good Week, uh, month, whatever, yeah. whatever you're listening to this, really. You life. know, just, you know, take, seize life by the horns and play Life is Strange and piss off you the world's life coach. Warren and don't do one. Yeah. 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 Yeah